ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth. Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Hi, my name is Scott, and I'm here with uh, Pastor William Shiflett today. We're two uh, bearded bulldogs getting ready to uh, <laughs> talk about the doctrine of election today. Um, Pastor William, did you have a book back here you wanted to talk, well, talk about? Well, we're offering Unconvinced, free for a limited period of time. It is a book that deals somewhat with these issues. Uh Predestination election are typically thought of as Reformed or Calvinist doctrines. They're really biblical doctrines. Right. Uh, and sometimes people overreact to them and oppose them. Mm-hmm. And so this little book is written in response to a specific book by uh, Robert Wilkins on uh, Is Calvinism Biblical? And mm-hmm. he deals with some of the issues of predestination election. And so I, I kind of try to bring balance to his observations, which I think are um, flawed in it with that. Okay. Uh, of course, we are discussing the book, The Christian Life, by Dr. Sinclair B. Ferguson, uh, an excellent book. And hopefully you have the book where you can follow along. If you don't have the book, uh, we're going to be mainly in uh, Romans chapter 9 uh, today, and then Later on, and probably in another episode, we're going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be talking about it. But, uh, Pastor, uh, election is a uh, bother to some people. It bothers them. Uh, Why do you think that the doctrine of election is so, I don't know, controversial, I guess? Uh, Well, the... the, the the only thing I can think of, and I've done a lot of reading, but it all, for me it always always comes down to that central thing, we want to be in control. Humans want to be in charge. Now, the word election simply means choice, mm-hmm. and, and the Scripture is clear that God chooses us for salvation. Right. So I think the only, thing, the only thing is that I would argue that, one, it's a misconception, that people think saying that God chose Jane means he didn't choose Joan. And we don't know that. We don't know who God chose or who right. didn't choose. And especially relates to people who have unsaved children. They think, well, my, my children haven't been chosen. And you really can't know that. Until you get until you die, they die, and you go to heaven, you can't know that God didn't choose them because God could save them in the last moment of their breath. I, I remember a situation some years ago with someone who tried to commit suicide. And this was this was in the Winchester area. They shot themselves. They didn't die. They crawled to the phone, called 911. Of course, they died before 911 got there. Many people would take it and say, okay, that person was lost. But you don't know that that person didn't have a moment of in, in between the attempted suicide and the horror of what was happening to call out to God. And, and if God had chosen them, they would do that. So we really have no way of knowing who is or isn't chosen. That's part of the reason why people, I think, reject it. But the other thing is, I want to be in control of this. I want to choose, and we, we try to balance this out. You do choose, but the choice you make is based on the choice God made. Right. Because if he doesn't make his choice, which was done in eternity past, then we will not make the choice. And no amount of, of religious 
uh, manipulation will ever bring that. It might bring you to church, might bring you to joining a, congre- a, a denomination. It will not bring you to salvation. Only God can bring us to salvation. So when you look at it in that bigger picture, I, 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 I just think it comes down to misunderstanding or just I want to be I, I want to be in control. I want that to be up to me. Mm-hmm. And this and again, it's, it's certainly not up to us. It's not up to us because we would not make the right choice. This exactly. is this is the whole thing that the performers really focused on. We do we ha- we have freedom to choose, mm-hmm. but we always choose according to our desires. Was the argument of, of of Luther and I think Augustine? We always choose according to our desires, and our desires are not for God. He must change our desire so that we will choose him. And that's the stumbling block. A lot of people just don't don't like that idea that they're somehow robots or they're being forced into heaven. Neither is true. Uh, but one of the things that I would always say is that I've often said, if you really understood the difference between heaven and hell, he can force me to heaven if he wants to. Amen. I do not want to go to hell for Amen. eternity. I don't want to be separated from him. So if it takes him forcing me, I'm okay with that. Okay. Now, he doesn't force us. He changes our hearts to where we want the things of God. Uh, and, and when you see that, I just can't understand why anyone would reject it except to say, I just don't want it to be that way. I want to be the one who has the final say. And and that's that's unfortunate. People feel that way. Well, let, let's get started with uh, what Dr. Ferguson uh, says about it. He starts out, and I'm going to read some quotes and a little bit of scripture, then uh, ask you a few questions and uh, get into get into the study. He starts out saying, in scripture, that we discover that eternal love and power are at work for our salvation. Jesus is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And of course, that's found in uh, Revelation 13. He says, in Christ, the secret purposes of God from from eternity past are revealed. And he quotes Ephesians 3, 4 through 6. And uh, you can read that when you get a chance uh, in your Bible. He says that Christ is the elect of God. And we find that in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, which says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Uh, Dr. Ferguson says Jesus' life was a revelation of the electing purposes of God. Everything that happened to him did so because of divine predestination. And he quotes Acts 2.23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And uh, Dr. Ferguson brings out, Pastor, that to the New Testament writers, these truths were not controversial, Right. They were joyful truths. Uh, do you think any of these particular truths are, are controversial to any believers today? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, so? yeah. They're, well, it's just like I said with this respect to this book. You mm-hmm. have you have people on the other side of the debate who write books saying 
this can't be what's happening, see? Right. That, that's where the controversy is. you got to yeah. split between what we call the Calvinists and the Arminians. Right. They're both, and I, I don't question they're both sincere believers, mm-hmm. okay? But the point of contention is how does God make this choice? What is our role? And and so it is, uh, it is contentious or con- a con- a controversial within the Christian church today because of, of, you know, you have them say, well, election means God elected a group rather mm-hmm. than individuals. The predestination refers to a, a, a group of people rather than, again, individuals. Uh, and, and you get, so there, there's that basis for controversy. Right. Now, now the good news is that most Christians don't know there's a controversy. Right. Okay. They don't know because, they don't get into those kind of teachings necessarily in their church. Unfortunately, it, they might not be in church quite quite as often as they yeah, should. Yeah, it, well. it could be that. They could be they're not being taught. Many pastors would not think that issue is important. My view is, and I think this is the view of Dr. Ferguson, that when you're reading the Scripture, you're studying Scripture, you come to these subjects, it is important that you have a balanced biblical understanding of what they mean and not just say, mm-hmm. well... Yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. And so, so it is it is confrontational. But as you pointed out, and as he points out, it wasn't to them. So we have to ask, what's changed? What has changed? What's changed in our way of viewing these beautiful subjects of God's grace and mercy uh, right. that that has made it so uh, controversial? Correct. Um, even even in the life that it's controversial, even for the life of Christ, they find that controversial that. God predestined the right. life of Christ. Right. That's really sad. It, uh, it is. It, it, it's a commentary on the, the lack of biblical knowledge that the Christian church has. Mm-hmm. The death of Christ. God predestined the death of his son. That's what the scripture says. Right. Uh, in, you know, if you go to the book of Hebrews, there's a passage where the writer quotes from the Old Testament, and it says, Lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book, I have come to do your will. And mm-hmm. what was God's will for the Christ to die for the sins of humankind? So it's interesting. And I, of course, I don't remember it, but the, the tension between the divine sovereignty and quote unquote free will is highlighted even in the life of Christ because he was a man. Mm-hmm. And if he was a man, if if we have free will, and he was a man in every sense as we are, he had free will, and yet God's purposes uh, were accomplished in spite of. So the first example you see of that, and Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't think it was controversial as a as a man uh, in his in his humanity. He didn't find it controversial. So it is worth pondering why is it so controversial to to us today that we look at things that the bible teaches that the apostles held to and we mm-hmm. balk at it we with all oh, that can't be what it means right well you you're in a series and you're talking about the sovereignty of god um do mo i would venture out do you think most christians believe that god is sovereign I think that most Christians believe, here's the, here's the, here's the catch. Most people believe that God is sovereign over a specific event. They will, they'll say that, oh yes, God's in control. 
but they don't see that God must be in control of everything for that moment to arrive. Okay. It's not like he suddenly he arrives on the scene and fixes the problem. Okay. It's that he uh, ordains, <laughs> that's a strong word, but there's just no way around it. He ordains the unfolding of events in such a way that this event occurs. And we, we can go to the book of John for an example. Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is dead. Mm-hmm. And he says, he hears that he's sick. sick. Jesus knows that he's not sick, he's dead. He says this sickness is not unto death except for the glory of God. So that before Jesus ever even, and Jesus, by the way, stays there for two more days before he makes the two-day journey. Thus, right. Lazarus is dead for four days. Why does he do all that? Now, and again, think about it in the context of other passages where it says he spoke a word and the man who was 10 miles away got healed or got mm-hmm. had a demon to cast out. He could have easily said, Lazarus, don't die from a distance. Right. But he didn't do that right. because he wanted to bring forth greater glory in the hope of strengthening his disciples. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you look at the, the prayer and I... I apologize if I'm rambling, but they're just—it's connected, and there's so many threads. There's so many threads in it that you just can't—you just can't disconnect it, you know. Uh, Well, Dr. Ferguson goes on. uh, He says to, and you've already made this point: to elect means to make a choice. He says to predestine emphasizes the goal of the choice. Uh, in brief, election reflects God's choice of his people, predestination, their divinely ordained destiny. Um, do you I, think all believers would agree with this statement? Uh, okay, I, I th- you know, I think there are people who would agree with it in principle. If you read it out like that, they would say, yeah, I believe that. Uh-huh. But the, the question is, are they living that out? <laughs> I love the way by, uh, just as a point of emphasis, I love that point that he makes, that election is a choice and predestination relates to the reason he made the choice. Boy, that is so clear because, again, you have people who think, I'm saved and I can never be lost, but they don't see how that's supposed to be lived out in their day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. You, you, You start living a new life. Uh, and so I really, I really like that. But again, you have the question of people saying, yes, I believe something, but never seeing that applied in their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I will take responsibility as a pastor. And this is, you know, my prayer and my effort and my desire is to be able to say things in a way to help people to be able to put it to work in your daily life. But the idea that God chose me for salvation, I prayed a prayer, presto, I'm saved forever, and I never have to do anything else, is just absolutely foreign to the Bible, and that's where I think the disconnect would come in. Right. I believe he's going to touch on some of that a little bit later later on in in the chapter. Um, As Dr. Ferguson has done with every one of the other doctrines, he goes back to the Old Testament, and he says, in the Old Testament, the idea of election and predestination play a major role and provide one of the basic themes of Old Testament theology. The history of the Jewish nation is seen as the story of the chosen people. So the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Do you think any 
believers today would disagree with that or or find a problem with that? Ooh, uh, well, no, I would say not in a... So again, as always, there are these multiple facets. Okay? Right. So you have the people of Israel, quote-unquote, the nation of Israel today. Correct. A lot of Christians do not believe that that nation is any way connected to the Old Testament nation. Ethnically, right. Right. Uh, gene- genealogically, yes, but mm-hmm. not in the context of God's purposes. Correct. Now, that's a very contentious issue in itself right. in the hearts of people. Well, for um, this conversation, let's just look at in, in, the, Old Te- in the time of the okay. Old Testament. In the time of the Old Testament, they definitely were God's chosen people. And very little debate. No, yeah, there's really no way to debate that. That's right. that's exactly what God said. That's exactly what He did. There, He chose He chose Abraham. From Abraham, He built this nation. Mm-hmm. They were to be His holy people. So yes, there's no there. There can be no debate about the Old Testament view of Israel as God's chosen God's chosen people. Uh, he, uh, Dr. Ferguson says, from the very beginning of Genesis, God reveals his sovereign purpose of salvation. Through Noah, God chose to work through one segment of Noah's family rather than the other segment. Through Abraham, he said uh, in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in Moses, uh, in Exodus 20, verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of uh, slavery. So we see in the Old Testament that God chose Noah, he chose Abraham, he chose uh, Moses, and used them for a certain uh, purpose. So I don't think many would disagree with that or have an objection to that. Uh, no, 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 they shouldn't. And I, and I would point out again, back to Dr. Ferguson's point, election is a choice, mm-hmm. predestination is a purpose. God chose the people for the purpose of bringing Christ into the world at, mm-hmm. at the, uh, in the fullness of time, as Paul renders it, so there's the election, there's the choice, and there's the predestination. Now, God's choice in these matters leaves a lot of people out. It, and that's where, again, you come into that because we're living in this culture of, of inclusivism where nobody thinks they should be left out. Mm-hmm. And but, but again, if you go to that, God chose Moses and he, or I mean, Noah, and he blessed one son of Noah mm-hmm. with the purposes. Abraham was a descendant of Shem, but so was Abraham's brother. But God chooses Abraham. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jacob and Esau are brothers of the same father. Abraham is their grandfather, but God chooses to work through Isaac. And and the the theme is there that the choice, and again, it isn't, it is not, it's not an issue of God just doesn't care. He's going to send a bunch of people to hell. It is God teaching us that his choice is preeminent. Mm-hmm. His choice takes priority. Not our choice, not our will, but his will. Correct. Dr. Ferson brings some of those same points out. And I won't, for time, I won't go over 
them, but he says that privilege brings responsibility. And that's a point that he has made. I think it, uh, it was in the doctrine of justification where privilege brings responsibility. And um, is that always true in the uh, Bible? We find that privilege brings re- responsibility? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Remember the little passage, and I don't wear a tag, where Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. And there you have the privilege responsibility. When God blesses us, we have a responsibility to uh, surrender our lives, live for him, and, and do that. Because only that service gives proper recognition to the call that God has mm-hmm. made. The, the magnitude of the call should produce a magnitude of service. So, like you said before, who God calls or who God chooses is chosen for a purpose. Uh, yes. And I'm, and I'm, I'm stopping there because okay. it, it, Think about it. it's one of those things you can go down another road. So yeah. trying to, well, try to stay within uh, the confines, you know, a little more today, but, but as we, yeah, as we think and go through the lesson, I think we'll find that who God chooses is chosen uh, for, for a purpose. Now, whether that purpose is fulfilled in the, well, let's not go down. Yeah. Let's stop. <laughs> let's start over. Oh, what we can say, what we can say is, and I, I do agree with you in the sense that God has a, has a purpose, but it goes again to the idea of I've been saved. Now, what am I going to do with this? Correct. I'm, I'm, I, he, he, he chose me because he had a plan to do something with my life. Mm-hmm. Now, it might be something simple. It could be just simple as being a breadwinner for my family. But there is a purpose to my life, and uh, and that goes with the choice. He doesn't choose anybody. This is a statement that many people have heard before. He doesn't. He using a using a sports analogy. God doesn't choose bench warmers. Right. You know, he doesn't choose somebody just to sit on the bench and watch everybody else play. They, they have some kind of role, and even a bench warmer, quote unquote can be out there encouraging the other players, hey, man, way to go, That's good right. play, you know. Your and encouragement is important. Major, major, important. major. Which is why, you know, we read in the Scriptures, encourage one another mm-hmm. with these words. So uh, it is, you do have a purpose if God has saved you. You know, there was a book written called The Purpose Driven Life. Who wrote that book? Rick Warren wrote the okay. book. And then right. he followed that up. Well, well, the, the first was the purpose driven church. Okay. And then he followed that up with the purpose driven life. life. And underneath of it is a lot of criticism for, for Rick Warren on a number of issues. But at the, at the bottom was this idea that you really do have a purpose. God had, if you're called to salvation in God, you definitely have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in that calling, in that life. And, Again, it might be something simple, anonymous, but you do have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're going to get into some things that people uh, may find a little controversial uh, with Dr. Ferguson's statements. He, uh, Dr. Ferguson says, Jesus taught the doctrine of election. 
He said he explained that his father worked in men's lives on the basis of a plan and a purpose. And he says that the kingdom of God has already been uh, prepared. And he quotes Matthew 25, and I'll read that very quickly. It's verses 31 through 34. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So if this was done from the foundation of the world, it's not something that, that, uh, that God thought up after, after the prophets in, uh, right. in the Old Testament. Correct. Right. This is, this has been God's plan all along. It's God's plan all along. And that's, that's the whole idea of behind election and predestination. You know, it is a plan that God is working in the, in the world. Mm -hmm. So when, when Christ comes and he separates people and he puts the, the uh, sheep on the right and the goats on the left, uh, how do you think the goats feel <laughs> about that? They're not going to like that too much. But uh, uh, how, how long do you think that's going to take? Do you think this is going to be... Uh, now, this is probably just asking you your opinion because I, I, the Bible I don't, is not clear, I don't think, how long this is going to take. But when he separates the sheep from the goats, is that going to be a very quickly thing? Because if you think about a shepherd, when he does that, he knows... Exactly where, who the goats are and, and and who the sheep are, and it doesn't take him very long right. to accomplish. Right. So, do you think it's going to take Christ very long to do that? Well, what what I would say is, again, once we are in eternity, then time won't matter. If it took a million years, we wouldn't think oh, of it as a million that's years. True. Time secondly, really doesn't matter. Yeah. Secondly, uh, the, the 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 passage in Matthew is one description. Of the event, when you go to the Book of Revelation, you read the dead are stand before God, and the books are open, mm-hmm. and we understand the books there to be the written record of this person's life, so that it might be a very detailed, you know, on this day, on this day, and this day. And you say, "Why would God do that?" Because He wants to make sure these people understand you deserve the damnation you're about to receive. Right. That I have done nothing wrong. You are the one who lived this life and, by the way, insisted on living that way and fought for the right to live in rebellion against God. Yeah. So, so it, yes, it is going to be a comprehensive thing as to how long it takes. Those are questions we, we don't have the answers to, but it is going to be not just a, 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 a group like the goats, okay, you guys be gone. Uh, and in fact, if we read later in that, he speaks to the goats as well and says, mm-hmm. you didn't do any of these things, depart from me. Mm-hmm. And when you go to Matthew chapter 7, you see Jesus using that phrase on a one-to-one basis. Right. 
So, and I have a question about that a little bit. Okay, a little bit later. I'm always ahead of the game. Today. You are, uh, and, and, what's, that's, what's, and that's why you're here because <laughs> I'm always playing catch up to to Pastor William. <laughs> Doctor Ferson goes on. He says it lies in the Father's hands to bestow the places of honor in the kingdom. Of course, uh, in Matthew, we see where the disciples are are arguing over the, who who's going to be have the most honor in, in the kingdom. Right. And, and of course, uh, Jesus says that that is up to the Father. Right. Uh, Jesus insists that entry into the kingdom of God is by a call. Now he's going to get into some, some areas that I want you to clear up because uh, what Dr. Ferguson is talking about wasn't crystal clear uh, to me. Matthew 9, 13 says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And of course, he's quoting out of the Old Testament. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Dr. Ferguson says, and this is what confuses me a little bit. Dr. Ferguson says, this call is not effectual without a further restraint on the heart on the part of God, in which his choice is to put into operation. And then he quotes Matthew twenty-two fourteen: for many are called, but few are chosen. And he says that is based on this principle, Matthew eleven twenty-five 25 through 28. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I'm going to, before you, I'll let you think about that for just a minute. I'm going to tell you what Dr. Ferguson says about it. Uh, He says, these words are unfathomable. They take us into the deep things of God, speaking as they do of the interpersonal relationships of the Father and the Son. They point to the mysteries beyond our understanding, but they also speak plainly about how men come to know God in Christ. It is by the choice of the Father and the Son. So I'll let you go ahead, and if you need me to repeat any of that, I certainly will. Well, one thing I would say where where he says, uh, I came to... I came desired mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous not I came not to call the righteous but the sinners. One of the things we can highlight there is there are no righteous. He, right. he has to come call sinners. This again is where the idea of, of being choice sometimes we think we we are being chosen because we're better than them. Mm-hmm. But there are no righteous people, which is a point that that um, Paul makes clear in Romans chapter three. And and also the, the story of the rich young ruler is an example of this. It's one of those passages that always puzzle people. They say, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Mm-hmm. Jesus wasn't good. Yes, he was good, but he was God. And right. he says, 
There's nobody good but God. Now, is that what you're saying? Are you saying I'm God? Mm -hmm. And if you are, then you better listen to what I'm saying. Exactly. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.